Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Please prepare your hearts for God's word. The scripture reading for the Sunday is Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in the jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are entering into a new sermon series called Moral of the Story. And it's a sermon series on the different parables in which Jesus uh, share the, the parables that Jesus taught us. And I love just, I just love the fact that Jesus ch- chose to uh, teach us truth through stories. I know many of us are maybe the type A people who would have preferred a, uh, a binder with like bullet points and very clear directives. But in the genius that, of Jesus, he chose not to do it like that. And I know for many of us, we would have preferred that because we want truth to be clear. We want our directives to be obvious. Yet parables and stories, it, it's, it, it pries into us. It actually, it actually demands something of us. For if we were to find truth in a story, it would actually require for us to sit with it, to search it out, to wrestle with it. Even this past week for myself, I actually spent uh, this past week I, with two different groups. I talked about this very weird cryptic parable we just heard read. And I loved meeting with people and, and wrestling about what the story meant. It required us to pray together. It, uh, people drew truths out of this parable that I've never thought of before. And none of that would have happened if Jesus just gave us some bullet points. We wouldn't have to pray about, oh, God, what, what do you want to teach us if it was just really obvious directives? And we, we wouldn't have to seek with faith and, and seek with understanding and humility and I think this is the reason why Jesus taught us so often in parables. And one of Jesus' favorite topics with these parables was the kingdom of God. And he loved to tell stories to describe what this world might be like when God restores all things. And this is something just for us as we enter into this sermon series about these parables, as they are so often about the kingdom of God, we, need it, we just need to know up front, is that we need to have two very different things in our mind when we think about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God first was initiated by Jesus, 
It was something that Jesus uh, initiated by coming here in this world, being the king of kings. He, wherever he went, he restored people. He created a, uh, uh, the image of God in communities that, that reflected who God was. It was this unfolding of God's kingdom in this world. It happens here and now even through God's people. But also the kingdom of God is, is seen in part now, but it will be experienced in fullness later on. When Jesus returns and restores the kingdom. So in the beginning of this parable here in Matthew 25, we find the way that Jesus entered into this parable said, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like, and he goes into this bizarre story. And I, but I love this. I love this story. When we read parables, primarily we need to be asking a very simple question. We need not to get in the weeds and try to figure out, uh, all right, is this an allegory where everything means something? It's a really dangerous way to read parables. Usually parables are best read when it tries to teach us a a single statement, a single concept. And what is this parable about these ten bridesmaids all about? For me, I think that this parable is teaching us that the kingdom of God is set aside for people who are waiting and watching with expectation. That for those people who are waiting and watching with expectation, the kingdom of God is opened up to them. Who here loves to wait, though? Anyone here? Anyone's ever prayed for, God, teach me to be patient? No. No one wants that. We don't want to learn to wait well. I mean, for me, I, I was struck by this recently uh, when I was reading a, a story time book uh, for Dylan. And this one book is the only book that you give newborns and graduates from high school, which is what, what book? I'm sorry, what? The Places You Go. That's right. Dr. Seuss, a classic. For whatever reason, we give it to little ones, and we also give it to, to graduates. And in the middle of this story... Uh, is a place that no one wants to be. And it's called the waiting place. Do you guys mind if you go to story time? Can we do that for a little bit? So get comfy if you want. Uh, This is how it goes here. The waiting place section in this, oh, the places you'll go. You can get so confused that you'll start into a race down long wiggled roads at a breaknaking pace And grind on for miles across weirdish wild space, headed, I fear, towards a, let's say it out loud, most useless place. Really, waiting place is the most useless place. The waiting place. Waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the ring to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for your hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for the wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. Does that take you back, anyone, a little bit? Our our world shares the same view that Dr. Seuss portrays waiting as a truly useless place. 
We, in many ways, like even for me when I think about my own childhood, this world is so well designed to take waiting out of our experience. Have you all thought about that? Like how we have really curated a life where waiting really doesn't have to be a possibility. Even when I think about my own childhood, waiting was a much of part of my life. I remember very clearly like sitting next to the radio, waiting to hear that song that just came out. I would wait with like the little tape deck with my finger on record, hoping to catch it like a pure recording where the DJ doesn't speak into the beginning or the end of it. Am I alone in this? I would just wait. I would wait next to the jam box for this. Does anyone remember taking pictures on this thing called a, a roll of film and dropping this roll of film off at a place that we thought was incredible because it was a one-hour photo, right? And like, it was like that was a treat to have this one-hour photo where you could come in and actually find your photos, Or do you remember uh, wanting to call someone, really hoping to call someone, but because their phone's not on them, it's actually stuck to the wall of their home, you'd call and you'd call and you'd call and you'd have to wait, waiting for the time that they're actually home? Or do you remember this, when you're waiting for someone to call you and it's like you shut down all communications in the home? No one can use the phone. I am waiting for a call. My brother Scott, sorry, you can't use the phone. I'm waiting for a call. And here we are living in this world where a lot of this experience of waiting is out. We now can order uh, items online right now to have a tracking number. And if it wasn't enough to get a one-day shipment from Amazon, now we can get it in a couple hours. Now we live in just such a very, very different place where we can sit on our couch and download a movie within five minutes and be annoyed if it takes longer. Do you guys remember Blockbuster? Blockbuster video? Do you remember that? We are a well avoidant, a weight avoidant society. And I've wondered this week, as I've thought about this parable, I've wondered how this has crept into our spirituality. How our weight avoidant nature has crept into our spirituality and what this has done to us. If it doesn't keep us in check, what this does to us. So let me put it into a question like this. What might we miss out on if we don't do what this parable might be teaching us, which is experiencing the the beauty of watching and waiting with expectation for God? Like what, what is your reaction when you have to wait on God? You have to wait on God for the longings that you've held in your hearts and your minds. You've, you've had to wait on God to answer that prayer that you have kept praying. How do you respond? Do you just move on to the next thing? Do you entertain and busy yourself and get distracted? Or might you, like me, in my most honest moment here, I have a little confession moment, have prayed prayers similar to what I've prayed. God, I really trust that you're going to lead me. I trust you're going to provide for me But on Friday, I'm making this decision. So you have till Friday. This is your ultimatum. This parable, I think, is speaking to the importance of waiting well. This parable refutes Dr. Seuss's assumption that the waiting place is not useless. It's actually really, really, really important. The kingdom of God is much like the waiting place. In verse 1, in this beautiful parable, we find, at that time, 
The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet their bridegroom. Now, to understand this parable, we have to understand that marriage and wedding ceremonies are, were a lot different then than it is today. Uh, what would happen is a bride and groom would decide to get married, or oftentimes it was decided for them, and everything was flipped around. Everything was dependent on the groom's schedule. So the party was at the groom's father's house, and so everything was waiting on them to have that ceremony ready, that party ready. And so that night that they decided to get married, uh, the bride and the bridesmaids, who usually were young virgins, uh, they would wait at the bride's uh, parents' house for the groom and his entourage to come and to fetch the bride and the bridesmaids. And so there would be much anticipation and longing for the, bride, uh, the bridegroom to come. And so these bridesmaids, they actually had a very critical role. And their role was to carry these lamps. And for us, we might think of them probably more accurately as torches. So at nighttime, they would have to have their torches ready because when the groom would come, uh, they would light their lamps, they would light their torches, and this processional, it was more like a parade, would happen. They would walk through the bride's community, and people would see the lights coming down the cobblestone roads, if you would imagine that, and they would know the wedding is about to start, and then they would file in afterwards, and this, and this would all lead, and the people would gather around, the community would gather, and they would all be led to the groom's parents' home, and that's where the wedding would take place. And so it was critical for these bridesmaids to be ready. What, what were the consequences if the bridesmaids weren't ready, if the lights weren't lit, if, if it was a dark night and this dark procession? Well, people wouldn't go to the wedding. It would not be this communal experience of celebration. So for them, they had to be ready. And this particular night, this story that is much like the kingdom of God, this groom was, was late. He was delayed more than usual. And we find here in this story, five are prepared and five aren't. Five of the bridesmaids were prepared. They're ready. They're expectant and five weren't. Verse three, the foolish ones, they took their lamps, but they did not take any of the oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. So how did these bridesmaids have themselves prepared? By having by having their torches ready at any moment. At any moment, they could be ready because they weren't sure when the groom would come. They had to anticipate. They'd have to watch. They'd have to wait for his arrival. And what we find in this story uh, are two different ways of waiting. We have two different ways, a, a wise way and a foolish way. There's an active way of waiting, which is waiting with anticipation waiting with a sense of expectation that this thing is going to come, it's going to arrive. For me, my, my imagination, I have the picture I have in my mind of an active type of waiting is a, a father and a son who had planned out this one night of driving out of the city to see, uh, to see stars. And so they plan this night. They drive out of the city into the countryside where it's dark. They lay out underneath the stars and they wait with expectation of seeing maybe a shooting star. That's an active sense of waiting. Now we have here the foolish bridesmaids were a passive sense of waiting. 
It's like passing the time until the thing comes without thinking about their role. They weren't thinking about uh, the moment with anticipation, with longing, with excitement. And for me, my picture in my mind is the DMV. You're just killing time. Like, just happen already. And you're probably zoning out on your phone or you're reading your book or whatever. And it's not this active longing, this anticipation for this. Historians, they have said that for these bridesmaids to be ready, they would have to replenish the oil on their lamp or their torch every 15 minutes to be able to light it and for it to burn immediately. They had to be active in their waiting. And so they missed out on it. They lived with foolishness. And I, the, the parade, the procession wasn't as bright that day And I wonder if some people in the community missed out on it because they didn't quite see the radiance of the celebration. And by the way, don't y'all love that the kingdom of God is like a wedding? Don't you love that? Like the sound of the kingdom of God in our mind should be like, uh, it should be a celebration. It should be a party. It should be, uh, that's the kingdom of God. That's what's at stake as well for them not to play their part is I wonder if some people didn't make make it into the celebration. So as we see in this parable, five made it, five didn't make it. The wise make it, the foolish don't. In verse 7, Then all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Now give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. They may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go and to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they're on their way to buy the oil, this in verse 10, the groom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. I've thought through this question as I've thought through this parable, and I know that I said it's, parables aren't an allegory. You shouldn't pull out meaning in everything. But I've wondered if there's something to the fact that there's some things in this world you can't borrow. You know, especially this idea of oil. Oil is a, is a biblical image, that is a, it's a biblical picture we have almost from Genesis to Revelation of the meaning of oil is the presence of God's spirit. Oftentimes people were anointed with oil as this reminder that God's with them for a unique purpose. When we dedicate a child, you know what we put on their forehead? We put oil in the form of a cross to tell this community and the parents and this child that God is with you. When, when pastors go to visit people in the hospital, we pray for healing. We oftentimes use oil to tell people in the midst of their suffering that God's with you. And here in this parable, we're taught almost maybe to believe that there's some things that you can't borrow. There's some things that are meant for you to experience and have on your own. This experience of the presence of God in our life. Now, for me, I think that's really important as we were to look at this, if you were to understand the role of the bridesmaids, their primary role was to have this torch ready to replenish the oil. And we could read this, and I think the hearer of this story for Jesus would go, why would the bridesmaid not be ready? This is their only, like, task. This is their main thing that they have to do. And I wonder if this parable is calling us to ask the same question to us. What is our most fundamental task as followers of Jesus? It's to have our oil, to have 
To be soaked in the presence of God in our own life. That's, this is the most fundamental part of the role that you and I are called to live in this world. The most fundamental part is for us to know Jesus. To know Jesus in our prayer, in our life of meditation. To know Jesus in our service of other people. To expect God's presence as we gather as God's people to, in our communities and small groups as well as in the gathering of worship. This is the most fundamental thing that you and I can do is to, to soak our lives in the presence and the oil of God. This is why you are here. This parable, though, it ends with an ominous tone uh, that almost, for us, it makes us uncomfortable as we read. It, ends, it has a harsh word in verse 11 through 13. The door was shut. Later, the others also came. The other, the five foolish bridesmaids came. Lord, Lord, which is probably the address to the groom or the groom's father. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Ouch. Then Jesus offers a little hint of what this parable might mean. And it's always nice when Jesus gives us an explanation of what parables might mean. And Jesus said this, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. You do not know the day. Keep watch. So this provoked me this past week, and I want to ask you the same question I was provoked by. Am I keeping watch? Are you keeping watch? Are you guys keeping watch for the kingdom of God to break into this world? You know, it's interesting. The early church, they, they really expected Jesus to come back at any minute. Like at any minute they were expecting Jesus to come back. And it changed how they lived. They, think about that. If you really thought that Jesus is coming back any day now, it would change how you live. They were more open-handed with the things that they owned in this world. They were really generous. They, they were willing to lay down their life or their convictions, their passions, their beliefs. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. And the interesting thing is that the church exploded like, people were drawn to the gospel because I think people were open-handed. They knew that this was not their home. This world was not their home. And it changed how they lived. And here we are in this life, in 2018, and it's midnight. And many of us aren't thinking about Jesus breaking into this world. It's a foreign concept for me. I don't hear many people thinking about that or talking about that. I rarely have heard people pray, Lord Jesus, why not today? Why not today? Why don't you come back today? And the people I've heard pray that are people who are going through suffering, people who have had injustices done to their community over and over and over again, and they are the ones that are praying, come Lord Jesus, come, come today, come now, we need you. And many of us who are experiencing comforts in life, we're not keeping watch. Yet, Jesus is calling us to wake up. Not only for his return that he promises to come back, but I think also Jesus is calling us to keep watch for him to break in here and now. If the kingdom is also here and now and not one day, are we keeping watch in the ways in which Jesus can break into our lives here and now? I'm afraid too many of us have just given up on the promise that Jesus can break into the midst of the darkness in our own lives. 
I grew up on the King James Version, so when I hear this story, I think about this when the bridegroom, verse 5, while the bridegroom tarried. I love that verb, but it's a harsh verb. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. We might interject right here and say, yeah, the kingdom of God has tarried. It's too, it's too long. I've waited so long for God to break in through my life with this one need. Where is he? Maybe many of you have grown tired of praying the same prayer, waiting for God to answer. Why is God so silent when we're crying out? I, like many of you, have wrestled with this. And I just want to say something about wrestling. It's an active form of waiting. And the danger happens when we stop wrestling with God. This reminds me in Isaiah 40, 31. This is a promise that I want to give to you from God in God's scripture. Isaiah 40, 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. If you're waiting for the Lord, you're going to gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. What is at stake when we stop actively waiting is that we won't be renewed. Our renewal is in the presence of waiting, in the presence of watching for Jesus to come up. New strength will will be given to us. We'll mount up like eagles. We'll run and we'll not get tired. We won't become weary. So for us today, I just want to ask us the question, what's the longing within your heart and your mind that you've grown tired of holding to God? Maybe you've grown weary in. What's the thing that you've been waiting for Jesus? What's the thing that you've been holding in your heart and your mind that you just need to go once and again, hey God, I want to put this before you. I'm going to watch for you rather than passively wait. Tonight, I want us to actively wait. I want us to take the things within our hearts and our minds and bring them before God. Say, God, I'm gonna watch for you in this. Maybe your answer is not the one I'm waiting for, but I'm gonna watch for you to answer this. I'm gonna watch for you to break in here. So tonight, we're gonna give you an opportunity to do something a little bit different for us. We usually have communion, and uh, tonight... Uh, we're not going to do that. We're, just like the bridesmaids were given the opportunity to, to light their lamp, so you're going to have the opportunity to light the flame of faith, faith that's shown in actively waiting. Perhaps you need to light the flame of a need in your life. Perhaps you need to, to light the flame of a person that you've been praying for and holding, uh, holding in your heart and your mind bringing them to Jesus. Maybe you're just waiting for a breakthrough to happen in your life. You're waiting for, for God to help you with a breakthrough in, in a relationship, a need, a struggle, a fight in your own personal life. You're waiting for a victory. Or maybe you just need to light the candle and say the unfamiliar prayer of, Lord Jesus, I pray you'd come. We have candles here underneath the stained glass windows and lighters there. And we're going to give you an opportunity to actively wait, wait with anticipation and praying the Lord, praying the prayer, come Lord Jesus, come. Or maybe you've never turned to God in your life. Maybe, maybe you've waited in all, in all different ways, but you've never, never really actively waited for Jesus to show up. I just want to say that Jesus, he invites you to the celebration. 
that Jesus invites you to the wedding feast where two become one, where joy is restored, where new life begins. If you want to talk about that, I'm going to be in the back of the room. I'd love to talk to you about actually waiting on your Savior, Jesus, because I know he longs to meet you in your need. As the band comes up, we're just going to have a time of prayer. And maybe in this time, you just need to sit and pray. Maybe you need to walk out once you, once you know the thing in your life that you want to wait on God for and light the candle and say that prayer. But let me just say a prayer for us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach us not to give up. We thank you, God, for your promise that for those who wait on you, they will be restored. They will be renewed. They will soar. Uh, they will be replenished. They won't grow weary. So I pray for us as a community that we would learn to actively wait on you. We wouldn't just kill the time. We wouldn't kill our dreams or the longings in our heart, but we would actually take them to you. I pray for the people in this room who have held things towards you for a long time. I pray that God, you would meet them right now in their need. I pray for anyone here who's never, never turned to you with their, their longings, their needs, their desires, their hopes, their dreams. And maybe this is their invitation today to do it for the first time. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd come break into their life. Kingdom, break into their life.